You're listening to Breaking the Silence, a podcast by Reach 10, where we're creating a culture of courage, compassion, and connection to overcome the shame, silence, and fear that often surrounds topics such as sexuality and pornography. We're your hosts, Chriselle Simons and Creed Orm. Welcome back, listeners. We are so excited to be breaking the silence today with Dr. Dean Busby from the School of Family Life at BYU. Um, Dean, help us get to know you and and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, this is, I've been a professor for 30 years. This is my 30th year um, and taught at three different institutions. I started out after, I got my PhD in family therapy and then uh, started uh, my first position at Syracuse, New York and worked there in a family therapy program. And then after about a decade, I moved to Texas Tech and taught, I was running a department there in administration for six years and then they hired me back at BYU and so I've been at BYU now for about 15 years. Um, I have been married for, this is my 37th year. We have three kids working on uh, 10 grandkids. We have eight and two more on the way. I was always most interested in uh, newly forming couples, what what do they bring into the relationship that makes uh, marriage more likely to succeed? What what happens in the early stages of that relationship, both dating, courtship, and then into marriage, that you know contributes to whether or not they're gonna gonna have a relationship that lasts and is satisfying. The thing that kept coming up at BYU, interestingly enough, it kind of surprised me was that the challenges the the people in our culture were experiencing um, and mentioning a lot in the early years were sexual issues. And so I started thinking more directly about that, and I looked at the resources that were available, and I didn't like them. I didn't think they were specific enough. They were too vague for the kind of culture our students were going through that media saturated heavy amounts of sexuality in that media and the the books and things they had available to them were just so vague and so not specific enough to get help them through those early transitions i thought well we better dig into this sexuality stuff and so um, we started studying it specifically and as i started doing that it became really really clear to me that it is the thing that uniquely defines marriage. It, it is the thing, if, if you follow traditional pathways into marriage, that what is the thing that marriage has that other relationships don't have is this intense physical sharing that's wrapped together with the emotional and the spiritual sort of elements. And no other relationship can match that. And, and if we don't get that right, it can be fundamentally problematic. And so um, it isn't that marriage is only about sexuality, but it is that it's most unique in that area of sexuality. And then, of course, from sexuality comes children. And that is, you know, one of the most amazing things about sexuality and families. And, and then in particular, in terms of the culture here in, in surrounding BYU, where I'm working now, um, I do find, and we know this about religious parents, that they're less likely to talk about most things about sexuality except for pornography. And so the only message kids are getting, many kids, is just a sort of negative message about don't do this bad thing about pornography. It, it felt like as we dug into the sexuality, you know, we don't have the goal. 
we just have the don'ts in our culture. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do it. And then magically have a good marriage uh, sexual relationship. And we're not going to tell you how and we're not going to tell you what. Just figure it out. We're not even going to tell you what that even means exactly, or what that could look exactly. like. Just, or, yeah. and, and, and when you dig down with, with religious parents, it's not unique to our religion at all. When you dig in and you say, what is it you want of your child? I don't want them to be sexual. I mean, if you really get them to be honest, I just want them to be non-sexual and then get married and then magically open the door. And, and because it scares them, uh, they don't know what to do with it. They know they don't want them to be involved. They don't want them to mess up their lives, but they're afraid what they say might get in the way, give them ideas, etc. And so they say nothing or little and just the natives. And so uh, when when we started working with, with uh, students at BYU, these we kept finding that the topic of sexuality was loaded with anxiety and shame. And that comes, to tell you the truth, from focusing on negative stuff. Like, you're going to get involved in this porn, or you're going to do this stuff with masturbation, you're going to do this or that, and that's bad, and you're going to be, it's, it's the closest thing to murder you can do. You know, there's all this sort of loaded language. And so, of course, we don't want our children to do bad things, but um, when you connect something as beautiful and amazing as sexuality with anxiety and shame, that's a hard thing to undo. Anxiety and shame are like glue to behaviors. They stick to them. And, and so even if, you, you know, if you've done well in the sense of you've been abstinent and you, you've restrained yourself, but when you think about sexuality, you fear or you have anxiousness, or you feel shame. Uh, once you begin to be involved in sexuality, it doesn't go away, even even if you're now in the right place in the right time. And so unraveling that can be a substantial challenge for a lot of people. Not to mention the difficulties that can occur just naturally uh, with ignorance. I mean, our bodies are different, substantially different. That's what makes sex possible. And we, uh, we typically, as ignorant people, when we try to get somebody to do something with us, it doesn't have to be about sex, we assume they're like us. We assume mm -hmm. they feel, they think, and they will do the things that we do. And that can be very problematic with a couple. I'll, I'll give you the simplest example. Men have, uh, at the age of 20, they have a, a 10 times as much testosterone in their body as a female does. And of testosterone is the central hormone for sexual desire, not sexual enjoyment and, and other things, um, but it's, it's the central hormone that's, that pushes somebody to want to be sexual 10 times. So if you assume, as a male, that your partner feels the same way, you're in for a lot of disappointment. Um, in sense of expecting uh, at the same level of intensity around the sexuality that you might have. Now, these are, these are averages, so some females have, have more um, interest in sexuality than some males, that the bell curves overlap, but in general, there's quite a significant difference in that. So if you don't know that and you move into this again, assuming your partner is like you are, uh, then you're going to start out with the wrong expectations and then and then when and how often to be sexual becomes something that's painful and difficult because you're making these assumptions that you're okay and your partner doesn't want things the same way and she must be 
broken and then you let your partner know that and then she feels bad about something she shouldn't feel bad about and then you get in this power struggle and everything can go in the wrong direction really quickly and it doesn't have to be that way. Um, if you just have some basic understanding, work with it together, understand you have different levels of interest, you need to approach that as a reality, that there's nothing wrong with anybody, it's healthy. She has typically, for example, the female system is built to handle oxytocin better. Oxytocin is a bonding hormone, and it's really powerful for, uh, and it, it gets stimulated when you do cuddly things and you talk and you do, and this is the interesting thing about it. When you're in a relationship where you're abstaining from sex before marriage, you're doing a lot of that. And oxytocin also stimulates sexual interest. So both the male and the female in a premarital abstinent relationship assume they have the same level of sexual desire because oxytocin is off the mm. charts as well. And he's just got the regular high level of testosterone. So they're making incorrect assumptions. They get married, begin to be sexual, things adjust to normal. And uh, suddenly, what changed? They think there's something changed. Nothing changed. They were just in this sort of artificial place. So when they get married, they oftentimes start cuddling less, maybe. And so That's right. Then, uh, oxytocin can go down. Uh -huh. and, and the uh, testosterone is still there. Right. So, right. And, okay. and sex is new in marriage. And so when something is new, it's always more interesting. And so both partners are more interested in engaging and figuring it out. And once that newness sort of wears off a little bit and normal levels of hormones kick in, um, then they start having these challenges around how come you don't want sex as much used anymore? Uh, what's wrong? And there's nothing wrong. And so again, if you understand that regular process, you can work through it and have a healthy approach. Nobody gets shamed, nobody gets punished. Um, you just learn how to work with different interest levels and not pathologize one, one another and learn what to do to get the oxytocin moving a little bit more as well and keep that moving. I mean, that's the courting <clears throat> part of relationships. And if you let that go and it's just about sex, it isn't going to be a very good relationship. So all of that's just a simple example of how a little bit of information about what's normal and what, could, what, what should happen, what typically happens, what bodies are like, how they're different, and here's some strategies to use as you begin to work through this can make a huge difference in just the first year of marriage. But nobody gets that information. Mm -hmm. um, and so then they're left sort of on their own to make incorrect assumptions. And so, as I said in our sort of pre-recording, you know, we're getting couples now 45 and 50, and they're having the same fight for 25 years. It's sad. It's just sad. And it doesn't have to be that way. And, and so it, it's, uh, it feels like an area that uh, you can make a pretty big difference pretty quickly with a little bit of information, three or four hours, and uh, will give you the, the knowledge. What it won't do it, it, in three or four hours is undo the anxiety. And the, that's harder. That's a harder thing to, to get over. And that's something that has to start with in homes. And then a couple can really, if they work really hard early in marriage to get comfortable with talking about sexuality and being very open about their feelings, thoughts, interests, they have language to talk about their bodies, they can, they can do a lot in the early stage of marriage to sort of undo this anxiety and shame because they're starting to build a relationship that is, is not about the problems. It's about you know just being open and sharing it. And they're both trying to figure it out, and so they have a lot of questions. And so, but, but most couples 
struggle to be open and talk about sexuality very well. We are grateful to Dr. Dean Busby for visiting with us today and having this incredible conversation. He had so many amazing insights to share. We're going to break this conversation into a number of episodes, so tune in for future episodes where you can listen to the rest of this conversation. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence by Reach 10. Help us create a new culture of connection by sharing what you heard today with at least 10 people. Please help us reach more young adults by going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reach 10 is a nonprofit. You can help support this podcast by donating on our website and following us on social media. We share these views to open the dialogue on these tough issues. We are not professionals, and the ideas shared on this podcast should not be taken as professional advice. The opinions and views that our hosts and guests share do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach 10, and we don't guarantee the accuracy of any statements you hear. Reach 10 is not responsible for your use of information heard on this podcast. We keep learning and invite you to join us as we build a more open, compassionate, and courageous culture.